Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our transgressions and our shortcomings, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm grateful, Lord, that you have kept us in good health and perfect peace. I'm thankful, Lord, that with all that we have endured and all that we've gone through, that you've never taken your hand off of us, that you've kept us with you, Lord, that you've blessed us, even when we're undeserving. And I'm asking right now, Lord, in your name, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, Lord, anything that is against you, all spirits that are anti-Christ and not of you, Lord, I'm asking that they be bound and taken out of the way. I'm asking that the Holy Ghost fall mightily here, Lord, and give us all understanding as to your word. Lord, let it be nourishment to our bones, Lord. Let it be seeds planted from what you decide to do with this. Teach us your word, Lord, because you can and because you will. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are almighty God, faithful, just, and true, worthy to be praised. Lord, do these things for your glory. Do them for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called uh, The Fivefold Ministry of Jesus Christ, which are apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're supposed to be what governs the church of God. Okay, so, um, you know, the whole body of the church are supposed to go in these five offices. You know, you have apostles, we're going to get into them. They actually, you can remember what each one does with this five Gs. Apostles themselves govern. They are the highest level of the church members. They keep things in order, so they govern. Then you have prophets, they guide, because they hear from the Lord and they'll tell people what to do at the appointed time. And then you have evangelists that gather. They bring people together. They go out and win souls, and they come in, you know, just <laughs> they win as many to the Lord as they can. And that's something all five offices are supposed to be doing, is winning people to the Lord. All right? Then you have the pastors. They guard. You know, they protect the sheep. They're shepherds. They protect the flock, you know, until they reach maturity. And then there are uh, teachers which ground. They ground people in the word of God, okay, so that they can have an understanding. Uh, so apostles themselves, they govern churches. Just to run over this again, they build churches. They'll go to different countries, different areas and places. If they see things wrong with churches, they build them up. They hold them on the word of God, tells them, you know, tell them how things are supposed to be structured. And then you have uh, the prophets. Again, they hear from the Lord. They're like the guys in the crow's nest and the ship. They can see everything ahead of everyone else because the Lord foretells them information to be able to display or, or to get everyone else ready. All right. Then you have the evangelists. They tend to blow in, blow up, and blow out. They come into a town. They win a bunch of souls, leave, go to another town, win a bunch of souls. So their job is the most important. But then you have pastors again. They are the father of the church, of the churches. You get the word pastor from the Greek word pater, you know, which means father, family. So the church itself is an extension of the pastor's family. And then there are the teachers who, who are so important because 
you can be a teacher and not be a pastor, but you cannot be a pastor and not be a teacher. You have to be a teacher because you have to be able to break things down to where everyone can understand. Teachers do this. They bring things down to a plainness of speech to where everyone in the room can understand from the elders who are eating meat to the um, beginners that are drinking milk. Okay, so these are what teachers do. They get everyone ready, you know, and well-equipped with the Word of God. All right, so from here, we'll go right into the study. But um, we'll probably start with the apostles first. Matter of fact, I should just read this one thing real quick, you know, to give some more understanding, and then we'll go right in. So anyone have any questions so far or anything like, you know, they don't understand? You can ask questions at any time. All right. So this is called the biblical understanding of the fivefold ministry. Again, you know, it talks about apostles. They govern, prophets guide, evangelists gather, pastors guard, and teachers ground. All right. So this will give some understanding and we'll go right into the lesson. Uh, it says, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul described the kinds of leaders God has provided for his church, for it is to attain maturity and uh, Christ-likeness, becoming the spotless bride of Christ. Okay, so from here, let's go to Ephesians 4. I should just go there first. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 11. funny thing is, the funny thing, that's true, the funny thing that begins in any of these offices is character. There's a certain character that plays out, which pretty much brings you, when the Lord brings you to these particular positions. I was told that a pastor is really one before he becomes one, because he has a pastoral character about him. You know, there's things that he'll do. I'm more of a teacher. I'm an evangelist, I believe, too, you know. Uh, I will tell you, when I went to New York, I was, um, when that Holy Ghost fell on me just this past weekend, I began to prophesy over the lives of people there without my control. So that was an act of the Holy Ghost. That wasn't anything that I did. Jesus walked in all five of these offices, including priest and king. So, you know, I mean, well, he could, but there are different um, positions for everyone. But I would say... If I had to pick one, I'm more of a teacher that evangelizes. The only reason I'm not a pastor is, one, I'm not married, which we're going to go into, and two, um, well, I'm just, I'm not married, you know, so that's really what it's about. But once you're married, then you can become a pastor. I am ordained. I call myself a minister. You know, I'd just rather be a man of God that's doing what the Lord calls us to do. All right, so Ephesians 4 and 11, and it says, and he gave some apostles and some and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the point that they're making here is the only reason for these offices are to get people groomed to fall into one of these offices. This is the body of Christ. It's not a building. It's a body of believers that hold to these offices and they go to and fro. Okay, like I may be a teacher here. There's a pastor up the street. There's an apostle somewhere else. But even in the congregations, there are people that fall into these offices. So this is the church. There's, no, there's nothing here for choir singer. There's nothing here for church greeter. Okay, those things do not exist as far as being members of the body of Christ. Now, um, greeters could evangelize in their spare time. And, um, you know, people that sing in choirs can evangelize through song. All right, but these are those are not offices. So the churches themselves make a lot of little silly things at times, putting stuff together that isn't even one of these offices. This is really what it's about, the government of the church. There's no parking attendant here, you know, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just saying that people put a lot of stock into things that have nothing to do with anything. Okay, so we're all supposed to be groomed to be in these offices, but they're all supposed to evangelize yet. So I guess according to the New Testament, there isn't a priest anymore, right? Well, we are somewhat priests, you know, like the Bible says, because we are the temple of the Lord, which we covered last week, and priests offer sacrifices. Now, our sacrifice would be dying to self, giving Christ more time, giving more, you know, fasting, prayer. So in some ways we are priests, but there are no, there is no office of a priest. You know, it's just like you can't um, go to a church. You are the church. That word in the Greek means ecclesia. So those that's called out once, you know, those that the Lord has called to do his work. So it's not a whole building. I mean, these are what govern the building or, or, or any establishment, but it's a body of believers. When you break out from the pastor, everyone should be doing one of these five, you know, and then you come together as a whole. But everyone thinks unless I'm in a building doing all these things, all these rituals, that somehow I'm a part of the church. And you can't join the church like we covered a few weeks ago. You have to be grown into the church. That's what being born again is about. You know, you have to be born of the Spirit of God. Anything that without the Holy Ghost is not the church at all. Because it's that that guides you back to Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. to uplifting him. All right, so, you know, these five offices, it says, for the perfecting of the saints. Um, again, you know, this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be walking in. It's not meant for you to stay in church for 50 years just sitting down in a pew. Okay, churches are supposed to multiply. You know, they're supposed to grow. Once this person is groomed and you walk in whatever it is that you're in, move on and, get and start another church under the same leadership that you have here. All right, And if the church did this, I'll tell you, we'd be powerful as a group, yeah. you know, because everyone would have the same doctrine being, you know, branched out, not coming up with a lot of false doctrine and different things going on. Oh, I'm a Methodist. I'm Episcopalian. Uh, I'm Baptist. Man, look for those things in the Bible and see if they show. We are Christians. Okay? Christians are the body of Christ, not just all these other things. Those are things invented by man. So I'm going to read a little of this and we'll get right into it. All right. So he says in this passage, Paul gave five offices that are referred to as the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Many Christian leaders have taken this verse out of context and elevated these five roles above their rightful place. 
they emphasize the importance of these offices in a local church, which they, which is certainly true, but often serve their own interests, need for power and recognition, denying others and calling people the laity. The laity is something that you find in a lot of places where they'll say, we're the clergy, we're the priesthood, and you people are the laity. God hates that doctrine. That is known as the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because if you're going to be a part of the offices, then you have to be a servant in Jesus Christ to the people. You serve the people. You don't command the people like you're sitting over them. Okay, so uh, any kind of involvement in church government. Others discard uh, the verse altogether, claiming that Paul is speaking of an apostolic age, which has long passed so that his words are not relevant to us at all anymore. It is therefore of uttermost importance to get the biblical understanding of the fivefold ministry so that our churches will be healthy and functioning according to the will and plan of God. But while we will focus on these five, we must not forget that Paul is not giving us an exhaustive list. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 28, you know, um, it says, well, he is saying in the church, God has appointed first all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then the working of miracles. Uh, also, uh, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different types of tongues. So they're talking about the gifts of the Spirit here, which is will be uh, grown in this fivefold ministry. Okay, these are the things that really help. I'll give you a classic example. This weekend, you know, I went home to see my dad, and like I said, when the Holy Ghost came upon me, I prayed for my dad. My dad had a tumor behind his eye, you know, and it was a chance that he might lose his sight. And, you know, I prayed, I anointed his head with oil, and I prayed in the name of Jesus on his eye. I called that tumor out. My dad sees clearly now. Amen. So the gifts of the Holy Ghost are for real. Mm -hmm. These are things that are grown in us from the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, temperance, meekness, gentleness, and faith. These are the gifts that, if you if you dwell in these... They will manifest the gifts of the Spirit, which are the working of miracles, speaking in other tongues, the gift of faith, which will allow you to believe beyond what you would normally believe, you know, supernatural things. An example of that would be like, you know, I know some people may not believe it, but when Jesus walked on the water, okay, now I believe it because I believe in the spiritual and supernatural in the Bible. You know, this book is no good to us if we don't believe in the spiritual gifts, you know, if you've seen these things manifest, then you can say, man, they're real. But before I began to get into this, I didn't know that they were real. I thought, you know, it's possible, but who knows? Until the gifts start to work through you, then you can say, hey, this thing is real. But you get scientists and people out there that will tell you, oh, these gifts don't work. Oh, that was a long time ago. Oh, it's not possible. So the Bible refers to those individuals as natural-minded people. Okay, soulish people, they deal in their five senses, that which they can taste and touch and smell. So if they can't get beyond that, then their reality goes no farther than their physical realm. And this is where they got to go back to school because there's a whole nother realm outside of the natural, which is the spiritual realm, you know, that most, you know, scientists will tell you don't exist because if this world belongs to Satan, they want you to lose your faith. That's really what it's about. All right, so... Um, 
Uh, and it says, only three of the five in Ephesians are repeated here again, while Paul adds other, uh, other kinds of people and functions. Surely would we not equate an, an apostle uh, with an administration, with an administrator, uh, yet both are in the same list, and there are there is no reason to assume in a, a hierarchy, or that one function has more value than the other. On the contrary, those who speak the word of God, uh, who preach and teach, uh, which is all part of the fivefold ministry, are held to higher accountability, and their goal is not to serve themselves but the flock of God, so that they would attain all the fullness of Christ. You know, that's Ephesians 4, you know, 13, uh, 12 and 13. With the visibility uh, comes the responsibility, and with the responsibility, the higher accountability. God has set his leaders in place for his church to function, and those truly called into those places will have been tested and proven, having gone through the fire of preparation, and they display true humility and Christlikeness not desiring a position, but wanting to serve their king any way he wants them to. While there are many different um, ideas in the body of Christ today about each one of these five uh, offices or functions, the remainder of this paper seeks to present the biblical viewpoint of each one of them. Okay, so I'm not going to read any more, but the understanding is that there's a lot of responsibility sitting in these offices, okay? Because if you sit up here with this Bible and you claim that you know the truth and you're teaching people lies, God will hold that person in much higher um, damnation than, than anyone else. So the most dangerous thing you can do is be sitting here teaching God's word. You don't want to mess around. But if you got some of these people that don't understand God's word, or they do, but they use the word of God deceitfully, these people have no fear of God whatsoever. But this is a very serious matter is to get this stuff right. So when people start talking about compromise, about, well, I believe in one saved, always saved, and I believe in a rapture and all this stuff, that was one of the reasons why I attacked those doctrines as strong as I did. Because you can't afford, if, you, if you're somewhat of a pastor or a teacher, you can't afford false doctrine to come into the body of Christ because it spreads seeds. Okay, and, and, and when you deal with things like slander and hearsay and all that stuff, pastors have to get rid of that stuff because that stuff spreads. There are some people, you know, when I used to teach classes before, you know, like back in New York, I mean, they would come and try to, you know, they would just come to see me fail. They would come to tell other people I was no good. They would come and tell people different things. So everyone sitting here to learn is not someone that wants to. You better believe it. If the enemy can sit in a Bible study, he can definitely sit in a church. That's right. Okay? So we got to recognize that the church of God are the people called out unto God that are doing the things of God, not just becoming a church member. All right? So we'll go right into it. Get my page. All right. So the first one is uh, apostles. The Greek word is apostolos. You know, apostolos, apostolos, it means uh, a delegate, messenger, one sent forth with orders, specifically applied to the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, in a broader sense, applied to other uh, eminent Christian teachers of Barnabas, Timothy, Silas, 1 Corinthians 1, you know, all that stuff. So 
In other words, these guys are like governors. You know, the Lord handpicks apostles. No one ever calls himself an apostle, and you rarely ever meet one because the office is that rare. I know a lot of people will go around with their little business cards from print works and say that they're apostles. Apostles are selected by the Lord. You'll rarely meet them because they go around really doing the Lord's will. I mean, they really move around. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to give an example of what an apostle will do. It's not far from where we are now. We're just going back two or three books to show you the type of things that apostles deal with. No, we're done with Ephesians. Uh, one, one. And you know, the truth is in these offices, you can't call yourself any, the Lord appoints people. He'll show you what your gifts are. That's what the Holy Ghost does. He'll tell you what you do. Usually you can see it long before a person joins these offices. People that are usually bold and just speak to people at any time about the Lord don't even care. You know, when some people would say, hey, man, I'm at work. And they mean, man, I don't care. You know, <laughs> that's usually an evangelist. They usually come right out with whatever's going on. Right. All right, so it says, 1 Corinthians 1 and 1. I, Paul, well, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always uh, on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given uh, you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So he's, he's asking that they all become one under Christ. That's the body of Christ. It's not supposed to be all these denominations. You either believe in Jesus Christ, you follow the word of God, or you don't. Apostles would come to check these sort of things out, what's going on in churches. So it says, um, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, which is Peter, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. 
So what Paul is making clear here is because there are some here in this church in Corinth saying, I'm of Paul. You know, I'm of Apollos. I identify with him. Oh, I'm a member of such and such Baptist church. Oh, I'm a member of the Catholic church. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, this is division. All right? Either you're under Christ or you're not under Christ. You can't identify under another, you know, group or, or um, church. You know, you're either the body of Christ, you believe in Christ, you're only working for Christ, or you're just going to go off into your own religious setting doing what you want. Right. So these are the type of things that apostles would set straight. You know, if there, there's other things going on in here, too, in the church of Corinth, when he talks a lot about, um, what was it, people marrying their cousins or something like that. There was, like, other things in here where you just see people just, you know, marrying their brother-in-law or, or, you know, or just not brother-in-law, but, like, their father's kids and... You know, just all kinds of stuff. So, you know, he was trying to set some things right. So that's just one example of what he would do. Let's go to Galatians 1 real quick, which is um, like one down, actually, right after 2 Corinthians. All right. We don't really have to stay on them very long because they... You know, they usually make their point what's wrong with the church right in the first <laughs> chapter. All right, Galatians 1 and 1. You there? All right. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be with you in peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called unto you, or called you into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have preached uh, unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, and I say again, if any man uh, preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? So Paul is all on, on proper doctrine right here with this group. One was just about churches branching off and needing to be under Christ. Now, he's addressing false um, doctrine in these churches because you'll hear all kinds of stuff. Look at Joe Osteen and Creflo Dollar talking about prosperity. You know, oh, if you give me uh, $1,000, you'll get back two, two, what do you say, 20000 You know, and you're going to get it. And, brother, the time is, you know, come and you got to... You know, dial that phone and, you know, get it in, you know, because time is running out. And you never believe how many people believe this. They will sell you bags of dirt and claim they were from Jerusalem. And this was the last place that Moses walked. This is where Jesus walked when he was on his way to the cross. Now, we got a bag of dirt and a Ziploc bag. We'll sell you for $500. And you'll have peaceful dreams, you know. I mean, and people actually believe this stuff. Why? Because they're into religion and they're not following what the Word of God says. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so this is why people get caught up because I think there are some that will go to certain churches and recognize what they're learning is wrong, but they won't say anything because they believe that the church setting is how it's supposed to be. When the church itself is none other than lively stones, a body of believers. So anybody have any questions? All right, so he's approaching false doctrine here. Um, all right, he says, but I certify you, this is 11, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling you here that all that he learned didn't come from another man. He learned it from Jesus Christ. When you know his Damascus experience, there's even a verse here in um, 1 John that talks about that you don't need that anyone teach you, that the Holy Ghost can teach you. But this is once you're, you know, you've received the milk and you get into the Word. Okay? But the Holy Ghost, I don't rely on anything I'm saying here. I go with the Word of God and let the Holy Ghost reveal things to me. Okay? Because one thing I don't want to do is teach an error. And I've had teachers. I've had people lay this book out to me, but I also tested them with the word of God, not just because they said it, because when I was younger, I was a parakeet. You said something, I repeated it. I never checked it out. You know, they said, that's what the pastor said. I'll go and repeat it until you run into someone that says, all right, show me in the Bible where it says that. And you go looking for it, <laughs> you know, and you can't find it anywhere. You know, so anybody want to add anything? Yeah, I mean. In some regards, it's like the majority of churches have just become a business. That's all it is today. It's just big business. And, you know, you go there. If you can time the service, you know, time is work. Time is, you know, you shouldn't be able to time how long a service is. Mm -hmm. Because if it's led by the Holy Spirit, you're not, you're not going to put how long a time is because you're going to let Him work. And you're going to let Him deal with the people. But if you go there and it's all about time, then it's just works. That's all it is. And then you got people who are too afraid to get clean in their life because if they do, if their business is exposed, and you got people who gossip about them. You know, I can't believe that she lived that way. Who cares? How are you living? Exactly. Now, if you can pull most people's information out, people will, I mean, I know how I lived before I came to the Lord. I know how I lived even when I came to the Lord. And it's little by little the Holy Ghost takes things out of your life. You know, the Bible even says that he won't take everything from you at one time because he knows that you wouldn't be able to handle it. So what it is, is if he gains control of your tongue, let's just say you're not cursing anymore or you've yielded that part to the Lord then he fills that area. You know, if there's, there's certain thoughts or things that you watch or you do and you yield those to the Lord, he'll remove that. You know, it's dangerous to empty a Christian and not fill them with the Holy Ghost right away because you haven't been grown. So you can't sustain that. There would be things that the Spirit of the Lord would want you to do that you just can't do yet because you're not cleaned out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of people will end up finding, and this is where the churches lose a lot of people, because when they come in right away, they start telling you, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't. No, it's got to be like this. If I catch you doing that again, I'm kicking you out of here. And what do people do? After struggling and trying to do whatever, they leave. I can't do this. This is too hard. But those same people never recognized that the Lord slowly worked with them. So they're trying to push a burden on someone that they themselves couldn't even bear. You know, so the last thing you want to do is pass judgment. You teach them the truth. The Lord gives us grace to get these things right. 
but the average church person will condemn you and tell you, you know, you're going to hell, you know, if you do that. And, you know, people just say, you know what, I don't want nothing to do with it. And, and this is why these false Christians have put bad taste in people's mouths. Yeah. To some degree, they are pushing people back under the law without even realizing, realizing that's it. what they're doing. Exactly. And see, that's why I was always skeptical about going to churches. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you know, like, when a church is good or not, when they're teaching, like, the right things or not? I mean, the easiest way for that is to, you know, compare it with the Bible. You know, a lot of it's things that they so. teach. Because, I mean, you'll find a lot of pastors I've even gone to, you know, and said, hey, man, the Bible says that you shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, they'll tell you what you do in your church. When you get one, then you can tell me, but this is my church. Mm -hmm. So they totally ignore the word of God altogether because, hey, I got a business to run. Right. You know, I got money to make. So all these guys are not in this for real. You got some that really do believe, you know, that really want the truth. And then there are others, man, they could care less what this book says. If you press them with the word of God, watch the reaction you get from them. Why? Because I'm not in this to do God's will. I'm in this to make money. <laughs> you know, that's what you'll find with a lot of these guys. All right, Ephesians 1, and then we'll move on to the other prophets. That's right next door. Right next door. And apostles, in my opinion, they really do walk in all five offices as well. You know, if you look at Paul, he healed the sick. Paul was a teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul was an evangelist. Paul was a prophet. He definitely heard from the Lord. So, you know, in somewhat he was a pastor because he was like almost a pastor over pastors. So yes. apostles really walk in all five offices. Like That's why they're first. Yeah. No, good. Like he was given the authority and the power by the Lord to go Exactly, out. because the only thing higher than the apostle is the Lord. You're right. You know, outside of that, because he's hearing directly. Not that anyone's above anyone, but there's an order, you know. All right, um, Ephesians 1 and 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Jesus in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from, our Lord, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ uh, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, a lot of, I'll tell you a false doctrine that would come right out of this. It said predestined. People automatically grab that and they'll say, there's nothing you can do with your life. Either God's going to choose you or he's not going to choose you. So it's really up to him as far as being predestined and being saved. This is where the doctrine of once saved, always saved comes from. And it's not even true. Predestination here means a type of reservation. It's just like if you guys went out to dinner and you made reservations to a hotel, I mean, or, or a restaurant, you can either come and pick up your reservations or you can let them linger and not make them. Okay, so the Lord is saying because he sees the beginning from the end, he does know who's going to be saved and who's not at the end. But he's leaving it up to you 
to be able to follow him in the truth because some people won't do it. Some people will say, well, I'm once saved, always saved. I don't care. I can be lazy. I can live like I want. I can do what I want. But this Bible is conditional. You know how many if and then statements there are in this Bible? From Jesus himself. If you do this, then I will this. But some people think that these things are just unconditional. The only thing unconditional about God is his love, grace, and mercy. Okay? But even then, at the end of time, we have to have these things right. God says what he means, and he means what he says. Right. Now, have I broken rules here? Absolutely. More than I care to admit. But this is about striving and getting it right with the Lord. Every year you recognize he's taking something new out of you and giving you, you know, a, a more of the filling of his spirit. All right. Um, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his, of his grace, wherein uh, he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom uh, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, uh, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensa uh, dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, and whom also we have obtained inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, you know, if we go later on in Ephesians, this talks about grace and faith. A lot of people believe that you have to do a whole bunch of works to be saved. The Bible says that you are saved through grace. I mean, through faith, by grace. So it's nothing you can do to earn salvation, okay? But, you know, a good a person that really is saved in the Lord, you will have good works. So you can't put the cart before the horse, all right? You have to, one, believe in Jesus Christ, have faith in him. You know, when you believe in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost will lead you unto good works, but Jehovah Witnesses tend to, you know, and some Catholics and other groups, some other churches, that they will believe in the works first and the believing second. And those two things don't go together. You're not earning your salvation. You're being led by the Spirit of God unto good works. Okay? So, you know, um, from here we can move on. If anyone has any questions on apostles, anything else they want to get into, but they go into churches and they set things right. They build churches. If it's a place of atheism, they come in there and they'll, you know, release the truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whomsoever will accept it, they will. If they don't, they don't. But they build churches. Okay, so they govern the church. Well, Jesus governs the church, but uh, they have their place. All right, the next is prophets. The Greek word is prophetess, you know, with one S, not like a prophetess. Um <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, too, with apostles. Apostles are offices set up that the Lord put men in. Okay, a prophet can be man or woman. Okay, so a prophet can be a prophet or a prophetess because the Bible says so. So there are women that hear from God that guide and give direction and understanding. All right, then there are um, evangelists. Both can be male or female. Um, pastors, it has to be governed by a man. I know a lot of people don't 
believe that, but then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it'll tell you the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The woman is the glory of the man. She came out of the womb of a man, which is why she's called woman. Now, I know a lot of women with Jezebel spirits, or they were told of the world, they don't like the sound of that. But when you want to look at what a marriage is really supposed to be about, I can tell you most people are not ready to be married. Because under the Lord, he has to be a godly man, of course, but he is the spiritual head of the home. The wife is the glory of the man. So she's not his slave, she's his partner. But they have different roles. So he's not supposed to mistreat the woman or anything like that, you know, but they are a partnership. But God does have the man as the spiritual head of the home. I know that's hard, you know, but there's a Jezebel spirit. We did a full teaching on that, that makes women try and be men. You know, women that try and best men in different things. That's not the natural heart of a woman. Because people can say all day that, okay, women can be just as strong as men. And, hey, I'm not knocking that. There are some very powerful women athletes out there. But let's be real about one thing. Put the NBA versus the WNBA, and you tell me who's going to win. Now, they both lift weights. They've both been playing since they were kids. Okay? They've both been in it like that. And I'm not trying to talk male dominance. I'm trying to make a point. If men can't have babies, okay, and, and women can sustain pain more than men, women can think out of both sides of their brains. You know, a woman could hear one conversation over here and have another woman talking to her. She can turn Speak into that woman and, and receive information here. A man can't do that. A man can't multitask like a woman. So the Lord gave us, you know, things for a purpose. But when you start saying one is better than the other, that's not even the heart of God. It's supposed to be a partnership. Mm -hmm. But some people can't accept that. They think it's wrong. But, you know, hey, it's written here in the Bible. Right. All right. So, um. All right, pastors has to be governed by men. Teachers can be governed by men and women. All right, there are three offices here that men and women can hold or women can hold, but the two that they can't is they can't head a church and they can't govern a church. All right, that responsibility was given to a man, but can women sit here and teach? Sarah sits here and teach all the time, you know? So it's not about who can teach, but it's under whose headship. As long as it's under, you know, God's authority under what he adorned it or ordained it to be exactly i mean that's where the blessings and everything come in because it's in god's order all right so the prophet uh, the meaning is uh, in greek writings an interpreter of, of oracles or of other hidden things one who moved by the spirit of god and hence his organ or spokesman solemnly declares to men what he has received by inspiration especially concerning future events of the kingdom of God or man's salvation. Now, we know, again, that this can be held by men and women. There was Anna the prophetess. There was Phoebe the prophetess. You know, so these are women that the Lord did use to hear from him in order to instruct. But even both of those women in the church setting were Paul's students. They were under Paul. And women can have men's students, but it's all about where the headship is, where it's being governed. All right, so to give an example of a prophet, let's go to 2 Samuel 12. That's in the Old Testament, before Psalms and just before Kings. 
But prophets, they usually live very solitary lives. I mean, not that they don't live lives and they can't have families and things, but prophets are pretty lonely offices. But, you know, as far as a man and a woman are concerned, the Lord is supposed to. The Lord says that a man should love his wife like God loves the church. He's supposed to give his life for his wife if need be. That's the kind of love he's supposed to have. His job is to serve as her, you know, and the woman is the glory of the man. The woman, um, you know, her job is to love her husband that way. So we're talking godly union. I'm not talking about any street relationship that you can think of because they don't work out anyways. <laughs> You know, those are the ones that keep you up late at night yelling and screaming about who's not doing things. <laughs> I've been in Bible studies. This is so funny. Where you see um, the two will go there and start finding scripture to get on each other. And they're arguing and everyone is just sitting there listening. Like, yeah, hmm, God calls a man to provide for his family. You know, and then the other one is saying something. And I'm like, I mean, guys, out of control. All right, so um, a little background on this. King David, I'm sure everybody's heard of. David killed a man to get his wife. Okay, he killed a man named Uriah. David was sleeping with his wife, and Uriah didn't know about it because he was off to war. So, um, you know, she got pregnant. So David calls Uriah back, you know, because you can't get out that the king was doing this. So he called Uriah back and said, I want you to sleep with your wife. Go on and sleep with her. So that way he would think that, you know, the baby was his. Well, um, you know, Uriah was so fiercely loyal to David that he said, I can't do that. We're at wartime. I want to be with you, David. I want to serve you as a man of Israel, you know, fighting for them. So Uriah used to sleep outside of David's chambers as a guard. This guy loved David. He was fiercely loyal to David, and David was sleeping with his wife. So David came up with the idea, okay, this is going to eventually get out. Everybody's going to find out about this. So he had Uriah put on the front lines to be murdered. Now, David was a man of God that did an ungodly thing here. Uriah was murdered because David was sleeping with this man's wife and wanted her for himself. So when the word gets out, the Lord called a prophet named Nathan to come and set that situation right. So we'll pick it up here in um, 2 Samuel 12 and 1. And it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, and one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, uh, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew together with him, and with his and with, and with his children, uh, and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his flock, and his own herd, to dress for a wafering man. Uh, was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it uh, for the man that was to come. I mean, come to him. All right, so David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, that man that has done this thing shall surely die. 
So David's hearing about this injustice. He wants to come and, you know, uh, be a good king and judge this man, not recognizing that Nathan only made up this story to let David know, I know what you did. All right. So he just proclaimed a judgment on himself, pretty much playing stupid. And David, all right, uh, verse uh, six, and he will, uh, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because this, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now, mind you, Nathan might be here speaking, but this is the Lord speaking through Nathan. All right, I know a lot of people would be, man, that sounds crazy. But this is the spirit of the Lord speaking through Nathan. This is what prophets do. All right, so he said, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him uh, with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and uh, he shall lie with thy wives in the sight in, uh, of the sun. Alright, so the thing here is, he told David that the sword would never depart from his house. If you study David later on in the Bible, his son Amnon, you know, raped his sister uh, Tamar, and he was killed in some accident. Absalom, which was another one of David's sons, tried to take the throne from David and killed David to become king. I mean, so it was all kinds of craziness. Solomon was involved in witchcraft and other stuff. So their whole family ended up having a curse placed on them because of this man's sin and what he committed. And the Lord said that he would give his wives away to his neighbors. Now, that's a real disrespect for a king. But look at what this man did to, to kill another man to get his, you know. So justice had to be served at this point. So imagine you being king. I'm walking down the street. And I see some guy holding my wife, you know, walking with her. And I can't say anything about it because that's the judgment that the Lord put on. So it's like, okay, you want to humiliate someone? I'm going to humiliate you. So, I mean, that sounds rough, but, you know, these are what the prophets of the Lord do. Now, everybody thinks God is a God of love. He is a God of love. He's a God of peace. He's a God of all these things, but he's a God of setting things right. Now, some people wouldn't think God can speak hard like this. But, I mean, when he proclaims judgment, you'd be surprised the things that he would say. All right, uh, verse 12. For thou did in secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So he's saying, you snuck away and did dirt. I'm going to reveal your dirt to everybody in town. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also have put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. 
Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord, to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So that firstborn that they were going to have together because it wasn't lawful, the Lord had to take the baby. You know, I'm sure the baby's in heaven, so I don't believe that it was like an act of just murder, but it was unlawful. Mm -hmm. So God had to say, well, you know, you did wrong. I've got to correct this wrong. You being king, I loved you, David. I did all these things for you. I would have given you anything you would have asked for, but you murdered this man for his wife. You know, and if you call yourself a man of God, you see how strict the punishment was on him? Because he should have known better as a king. He's a ruler over the people of God. So this is the way the Lord would hold any pastor or anyone else who was out of line. Like, imagine me, you know, telling everybody in here about the Bible, but I'm into witchcraft in my spare time. I'm down at the whorehouse. I'm down doing all these things, but you guys better live right. But when you guys are away, I'm going to go and enjoy myself. Now, that punishment would be stiff on me because I'm not walking the talk. I'm a hypocrite. You know, and that's the last thing you want to be. Uh, Isaiah 38 and 1. That's a little further down. But does everyone understand so far what a prophet does? He hears from the Lord. You know, I'll tell you that prophets exist. I remember one day Sarah and I went to go eat. We were at Hometown Buffet. And I just got finished telling Sarah before starting the ministry. I said, you know, I just feel like I'm not ready. Like there's more that I need to do, you know, for the Lord to be prepared. And I'm telling you, 30 minutes later, I'm, I'm dressed in my boxing gear, street clothes. This guy came up out of nowhere and said, excuse me. He said, I don't want to interrupt. But he said, I'm telling you, I can see the anointing on your life. He said, uh, the Lord told me to tell you to do what you need to do. I didn't look like a pastor. I didn't look like a minister or anything like that. But this guy came and told me that it almost brought tears to my eyes because the Lord sent that someone else who never even heard what we said. Wasn't even in a restaurant at the time. It's not like I had a Bible at the table, but it was, he was called to bring, you know, to give me that confirmation to keep going. So I know that we never saw him again. No. He just came in. Yeah, he does. <laughs> no, Nathan came in. It'd be different, right? <laughs> no, that's true. But, I mean, prophets really do exist, but only in the church of God. People going around in religious antics and rituals. Man, that's not, that's so far away from what the Lord calls us to do. I mean, people would really be shocked. So, um... Isaiah 38 and verse 1, this is King Hezekiah. Um, he was doing wrong, too, in the sight of the Lord at this point. All right? I think he was, um, didn't he eventually fall away and start? Um, he did, because initially he was actually a Right, but he started building groves and started, doing other yeah. things, too. Right. So he's another guy who fell away from the Lord. So it says, verse um, Isaiah 38 and 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord, and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which, uh, that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. So when he heard this information, you see, you get a lot of people today that'll say, yeah, right. 
you think God's speaking through you, whatever. But Hezekiah believed it because one thing that the Lord will give a prophet, and this is when you can always tell you're dealing with a prophet of the Lord, if he says a thing, it will come true. All these people putting false prophecies out there when the end of the world is and all that stuff, they're not prophets because none of their stuff comes true. If the Lord says something, he usually gives them a word of knowledge that they would know something that only you know. Right. No one else knows about. So you know, man, this has got to be from the Lord because nobody told this person. Okay, so that's a sure sign of knowing who a prophet is. So Hezekiah believed it. He humbled himself. And right now he's crying, asking the Lord to forgive him. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. So sometimes the Lord even wants us to be humble in situations when he judges a matter. But you got people today walking around too bold, too proud, not believing God. Yeah, whatever. How I live is my life. No one can tell me otherwise. Man, the Lord is getting ready to judge this nation like you wouldn't believe. Everybody that's going against God thinking they're doing what they're doing, this has showed so many times in history where they thought whatever I do is okay, and then he has to come and judge the city. And you usually know it because things like the economy start to fall. Mm -hmm. Okay, you start to see the homosexual lesbian thing grow really out of control. That's usually the surest sign of judgment when the Lord is going to judge a situation. You know, there's other things that you see play out, like wickedness, violence, people doing things, and justice spreads mad. Okay, when the Lord gets ready to judge a situation, it usually gets as bad as it can possibly be. So I'm not bashing homosexuality. I'm telling people that the Lord says it's wrong. I stand with the word of God. All right, I found out, you know, some things. I know people themselves that are gay, and I try and minister them to the truth in Jesus Christ and understanding a lot of stuff. There are many that I have led to the Lord, so I'm not bashing anyone. But you know the natural, the, the nature of God, when he puts one thing together, men and women fit together. You don't have to try, you don't have to go and try and buy artificial parts, okay, to make stuff happen. There's growth, there's harmony, God made man and woman. He didn't make all the other stuff you see today. This is Satan's attempt to destroy the image of God, something that he made was beautiful, you know, and he wants everyone to become asexual. I showed you guys that picture before of the Baphomet. That's what Satan really wants to do. Uh, you guys may not know it. Bestiality is legal in Oregon. Like Martin said, who voted on that? Okay, but that's legal in Oregon. Think about this stuff. All this stuff is to destroy God's image. That's all it is. But they'll tell you, you have your right. No one can tell you otherwise. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. You know I'm controversial, so. All right. Uh, I want to get to one point about a prophet, because we don't need to go into all of this. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18 and 19. But, and everyone believes that this thing is just going to stay calm and everybody's going to love and respect one another. I can tell you firsthand, whenever that spirit is in control, that spirit will dominate 
Because why are they forcing their belief system on us? Okay, if we're going to peacefully coexist, you do what you do, I do what I do, okay, fine. But why are they amalgamating bathrooms? What's the purpose for that when you can build a third one for anybody? All right, this could be male, female, and male and female, whoever wants to go in here. This is for you. But why are they making it law, enforcing it? But then they claim the Christian is the one that's pushing his beliefs on people when a Christian is fighting for something greater than himself. You think we like being ridiculed and cursed out and called names and everything? A Christian loves people enough to tell them the truth, despite what they have to face. So that's the heart of God, is to try and help other people. But the others are making laws and... Go to the prison system where this spirit runs rampant and see who takes control. See how you can't just negotiate your way out of a situation. It's about takeover. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stay this way. Oh, I love you. You love me. You watch. Because I've seen many times where they, you know, gays can come into heterosexual clubs, but heterosexuals can't go into gay clubs. I mean, if they do, there's like this sort of, well, you have your night. This is our night. I know because I used to be a bouncer outside of one of these places that had this. You know, they would, even though I was just security, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is that they would always say, come out and tell us they have their night. They don't need to be in here making our people feel uncomfortable. Wait a minute. I thought this was about equality. What's going on here? Okay, so this thing has got nothing to do with equal rights. But, you know, we'll see that in the future. All right, uh, Deuteronomy 18 and 19, and it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which uh, he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But a prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or uh, that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word uh, which is the which the Lord has spoken? Uh, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if that thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, uh, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Okay, so these are the signs. If the Lord tells you something, it will happen. If he doesn't tell you something, it's not going to happen. And it's got to be of God. Now, you got a lot of psychics out there. You know, we've done in previous teachings. They wield their power and their understanding from demons. Okay? There are two sources of power. One is of God and the other is of Satan. There's no in-between. So I won't deny for a minute that the occult world has spiritual power. They do. How these um, fortune tellers want to tell people their fortunes and things. And some things they may get actually right. But that's demonic power that they're seeking to try and gain truth. Because God tells you to stay away from fortune teller. He said, you know, no divination, no enchantments, no um, astrology, no any of that stuff. He's about, you know, his word. And if he tells you a thing by his spirit, if it comes true, it's of God. If it doesn't come true, it's not of God. It's that clear. And a lot of the times you'll find those... Um, Tarot card readers, they're guessing. Oh, they'll tell you, oh, there's uh, someone in your life that you really want, and you're not sure, but then there's someone else. Now, who hasn't that happened to in here? I mean, you know, but they'll say little things, and you, 
oh yeah, you know, um, wow, let me listen some more. And I'm like, oh, come on. Or it's just a temporary, a temporary fix. It's not right. Even, you know, it yeah. brings strife or confusion, and before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole, rabbit hole you didn't even want to go down in the first place. Exactly. You know, so this is one of the things. Everybody understand a prophet? Any questions? Because, I mean, I do have other scriptures if you guys want to write them down. Um, this Psalm uh, 22 speaks about a prophet, you know, and things. There's um, 1 Kings 21, the whole thing. There's Acts 5, 1 and 10. Uh, there's Psalm 8, 1 and 2. There's Psalm 110, 1 and 2. And then there's, uh, you know, just Psalm 2. If you guys want to write that down, I'll tell you some more about prophets. All right, so the evangelist is the next one on the list. This is the most important job, in my opinion. This is what all five officers should walk in, telling people the truth in Jesus Christ, winning people to the Lord. That, that's the single most important job of these five officers because they're all supposed to walk in these. Now, remember, we said the apostle... He is, you know, he's the uh, governor. He governs, okay? Then you, we just went over the prophets. They guide. So you see a lot of these people heard from the Lord to proclaim judgment, but there were also good things heard from the Lord to proclaim truth. And usually prophets are warners. They warn. Guys, get your lives together in Christ. The Lord's about to judge this and judge that. They usually don't have very good news, to be honest with you, Okay? <laughs> When you hear from a prophet, something is going wrong because they need to guide now. All right? So um, evangelist is the next one. They gather. The word uh, in the Greek is eugalistes. I guess where they get evangelist. It's spelled uh, E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-S-T-E-S. -E All right? The meaning? A bringer of good tidings, an evangelist. The name given to the New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ, who are not apostles, uh, you know, they're preachers of the gospel. So that's an evangelist. Now, there are many different ways of evangelizing. You can evangelize through song. You can evangelize through, um, I believe in some ways, dance. If it's inspired by the Lord, absolutely. You know, telling people the truth in certain things. You know, it's just, man, when that anointing is on your life, it breaks the yoke. Uh, I, when that spirit fell on me this weekend in New York, you know, and I went there to speak, you know, I felt like I was offending people there. But, man, when I made the altar call, that altar was packed. There were people that, hey, you know, I believe this. I believe this to be true. Hey, you know, I'm here to receive what the Lord has for me. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. So when the anointing is on your life, he's going to bring in a harvest, you know. And it's not you doing the convincing. It's the spirit of God. And a lot of the times we try and win people to the Lord, void of this book. You can't do it because these words are inspired by God. The Holy Ghost has to be grown in you to inspire people. But if the Holy Ghost, if the Spirit of God isn't doing that, what you're going to find yourself doing is going and getting a whole bunch of information, trying to convince people, arguing night and day about your God versus theirs. But, man, when you have that anointing on your life and you're full of the Spirit, that's who does the convincing. The Bible says that the word of God does not return void. So when you're speaking these inspired words that we believe were inspired by God, this is what breaks the stronghold. So you've got to know this word to win people to the truth. 
Other than that, you're just going on opinion. They'd be, well, how do you know Jesus is the way? Well, I believe it all my life. The Bible says he's the way. Okay, so what? I believe that Buddhism is my way. Now what? You've got to know this book. Because this book even speaks of things that even Buddhists do that the people that went against the children of Israel fought against. Okay, so this Bible tells the truth in every situation. It has all the answers in marriage. It has all the answers in worldly affairs. History, there's nothing more accurate than this book. Do you know true scientists who believe in, in God will tell you how scientifically accurate this book is? Those that want to tell the truth. But those, the rest out there that, you know, don't want to believe in Jesus, they always say evolution versus, you know, um, religion. When really what they believe in is religion. This book has been proven fact. True science proves the validity of God. You cannot get order out of disorder. That's impossible. Okay, you can't have 12 hours day, 12 hours night. You can't have leaves growing on the trees, leaves growing on the trees, producing um, oxygen. For whom? Okay, so we just came here by accident and the trees are going to help us out. What sense does that make? The trees automatically know we're going to produce oxygen because we just feel like that's the right thing. And then, oh, here comes a human, so this is perfect. No, no, no. These, this thing is in order, night and day. Four seasons. I mean, just look at how orderly things are. We have a thinking, reasoning process. We're intelligent beings. You know, and now we have eyeballs to see. We got ears to hear. That ought to debunk the whole evolution thing right there. Because the question would be, if we came out of randomness, who told you that you needed ears to hear? And who said that they would shape like that? What are you trying to hear? Who, who formed eyeballs for you so you can see everything that's around you? Who gave you lungs so you can breathe? Now, and which one of these things came first? That's ridiculous. You know, if you think about it. So we are created beings. They don't like to admit that, but we were created. There's no such thing as you're going to get order out of disorder. I can take paint, throw it on the wall, okay, and not form a thing. But a painter... Well, you know, make something that, well, you got some random abstract art too, but I'm saying that you have people that, you know, if you're going to draw something, it takes a creative mind to form that thing. You can throw letter. I could, you know, squirt ink on a page. It may not mean a thing, but it takes a, an understanding mind to first, you know, know what the alphabet is and to put letters together that make words, that make sentences, that make paragraphs, things with meaning. There's always a why behind anything that is made. Okay, there has to be a why. That TV is here, why? We're all sitting in this room, why? You know, there's always a why. There's no randomness in this whole thing. Sorry to rant, guys. I just hate these evolutionists and all the stuff that they talk. All right, so we'll get an example of an evangelist here. Um, when Peter was evangelizing, let's go to Acts 2 and 12. Acts is right after uh, John, the Gospel of John.
Okay, so this is when they all got the Holy Ghost. You know, Jesus told them if they stay in town that they would be able to get the um, the Holy Ghost would come upon them when he left and descended into heaven. All right, so if I start at verse 12, uh, the people here were mocking them too because, you know, they were speaking in other tongues. They were speaking to people in their own languages. That's something even the Holy Ghost can give you. There are a lot of people who will even speak in another tongue to people that they don't know. You know, they never heard that language before, but inspired by the Holy Ghost, they were able to communicate to that person. Okay, so a lot of people um, don't believe it, but these are things I witnessed myself. All right, so they were all, this is uh, verse 12, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaning this? Others mocked, said, these men are full of new wine. Uh, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken uh, to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye supposed, seeing that it, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now you can read this in Joel 2 when they talk about this. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out of those days of the spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will shoot wonders in heaven, uh, above the sign of the earth, beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man uh, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him. Uh, in the midst of you, and ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God have raised up, uh, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible uh, that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. All right, I want to get a little further down. Um, I just thought I'd go to 26. Uh, Therefore uh, did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall be uh, rest in hope. I mean, shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy uh, with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. So what we understand here is David himself, Jesus is from that lineage of David through Mary. He didn't come through Solomon. He's from Mary's bloodline who was under um, 
Solomon's son, I mean, uh, David's son, Nathan. So Jesus is actually related to both sides. He's related um, through Solomon's bloodline, through adoption or through marriage, but through Mary's bloodline, somewhat by blood because he was born of her. She had no, you know, he had no earthly father. So they said that out of the loins of David would come forth Christ. So this is what they're trying to prove and say that he did. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherewith we are all witnessed. But long story short with this, he tells them about the need for the Holy Ghost, the things that need to be done. And on this day when he preached this, because they had never heard this before, 3,000 souls were added to the church on this day from this one man's sermon. Why? Because the anointing was on his life. He was, um, you know, given that gift of evangelism through the spirit to bring these people in. Now, you and I got to pull and tug just to get one person to come to church, just to get one person to read the Bible. Have the anointing on your life and this thing will be easy. But you first got to yield your vessel to the Lord and let the Holy Ghost live in you. That's the only way. I mean, but everyone understand so far? Or I don't want to speak. I know like a lot of this stuff, I go over a lot. And it's okay to say, you know, can you run that over me again? Or I figure if y'all stay quiet, y'all get out of here early. Or, <laughs> yeah, um, let's go to Acts 6 and 1. It is warm in here. You guys are under the fan. Okay. No, I'm used to it. Okay, we can just go to Acts 7, actually. Acts 7 and 54. This was Stephen, who the Lord, um, Stephen was a remarkable guy as an evangelist because, you all right, Jay? Yes, my back's tightening up, I'm good. Oh, yeah, been working out a lot or something, huh? Yeah, when I pinched my nerve last year, it comes and goes still. Oh, okay. That's why I've been staying in the last couple days. Right. I'm all right. So this is about... um, you guys can look up Acts 6 in your spare time, the whole um, chapter. This is where Stephen um, just was new into the Lord. He wasn't with them six months. I think it was a few months where he got full of the Holy Ghost, and he's out there on the streets preaching the Word of God, performing miracles too, full of the Holy Ghost, you know, because he yielded his vessel to him, the anointing was on him, and Stephen was doing his thing, so... The reason I'm bringing this up because things don't always go so great for an evangelist. I mean, you know, Stephen was active in the Lord. You go out there and preach the gospel, it can be a dangerous thing sometimes, you know, because you're going to end up in places with people that don't want to hear it. All right, so we'll go to um, Acts 7 and 54. We're going to read about what happened to Stephen. Acts 7 and 54, and it says, because uh, Stephen at this point in the beginning of Acts 7 is just trying to tell them everything about the Lord, what they need to do to be saved, 
all this stuff, but this was a hostile crowd he was dealing with. So in 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. <laughs> you know, um, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, because they actually stoned him and now they're biting him. These are the type of animals you'll run into. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. So he's sitting here being stoned. I want you guys to imagine this. This guy's bringing the truth in the Lord. He's being stoned. And because these people are so full of Antichrist, they're biting him. Okay? And he's, you know, about to die. He's given a vision of the Lord. You know, saying, hey, I see Jesus. I see the Father. I mean, you know, I see them on the right hand. And these people are running up to him, covering their ears, because they don't even want to hear that part of a gospel of a dying man. All right? Just imagine that. All right, so they stopped their ears. They didn't even want to hear him, 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Stephen is not even saying, now imagine you being stoned. You know, Stephen is not even saying, Lord, strike him dead. Lord, save me. Lord, you know, show these people your power and deliver me. He's saying, oh, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. So even in this guy's torture and death, he still wished these people well, because this guy was full of the spirit of God. I mean, that's that's awesome stuff, because what about Stephen here wouldn't be like Christ? Jesus did the exact same thing. When he died, he never he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because that was an act of God, saying, like, you know, I'd just rather them get saved. So Stephen risked his life to bring the gospel. But that's what an evangelist will do in the worst-case scenario at all costs. Why? Because the Bible says that perfect love casteth out fear. Okay, so his love to see someone saved was greater than love for saving his own life. He loved them more than he loved himself because it was an act of God. Now, I'm not saying you get there overnight, but I'm just saying that this is what a mature Christian would do in this situation. This is so far removed from the church, it's not even funny. So basically, you don't do that by works, you do it by grace, right? Oh, yeah. Seriously. All right. The next one. I mean, everyone understand an evangelist. He just goes out and wins souls, you know, inspired by the Holy Ghost. All these officers are inspired by the Holy Ghost. This is not just man's wisdom. Man's wisdom will miss a lot of things. Man's wisdom will tell you all about the history of the Bible and all this, whose father was whom. But to get revelation is something that only the Holy Ghost can give you. Like what the blood and water meant when Jesus' side was pierced. Now, a, a seminary person will tell you, well, yeah, because his heart and his lung was pierced, or his kidney, so the water poured out. Never mind that. What did it mean? 
You know, so these are things that the Spirit of God will give you that man just wouldn't understand. All right, so uh, I guess you guys are wondering, what does it mean? <laughs> right, you know, that water was a type of baptism, and it was also being washed in the blood. Okay, so that would be a type of, you know, water and fire baptism. You know, it's just like any lamb. Remember when they crucified the lamb in the Old Testament? They sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat in order to be received. So he was the perfect sacrifice. So that's what the blood and water meant. So the same blood that washed our sins. Absolutely. All right, so the fourth one we're going to here is pastors. The Greek word is poimen or patter. Okay, and it means a herdsman, especially a shepherd in a parable. Um, he to whose care and control uh, others and committed themselves and those precepts they follow. Metaphorically, a presiding officer, a manager, director of any assembly, so of Christ, the head of church, of the overseers, of the Christian, assemblies of kings and princes. Okay, so in order to get an understanding of a pastor, uh, let's go to First Timothy chapter 3, what the requirements are, and then we'll just give a couple of examples. First Timothy chapter 3. This is the main reason why I say a woman can't be a pastor. It's not me saying it. I don't, I don't care one way or the other. But the fact of the matter is if we're going to do things in accordance with God's word, then it's got to be according to the Bible. Because all it takes is an eighth of an inch to go off course. And you go a few miles and you, I mean, you're far apart. You're far away from where you should be. So Jesus said the weight and the gate is narrow for those who find eternal life. So we have to walk the straight and narrow, and it's not an easy walk. All right, First Timothy chapter three. You almost there? Uh, it's at the back. Yeah. What's that? No, it's not an easy walk, but it's striving. Right. But, you know, the whole goal, you know, it is to, we go over a lot of scripture because I want people to be grounded in the word. I want people to really know this. And unless it's in you, you won't get it. And that's why in some ways I wanted to, like, give assignments like, you know, someone bring a, bring a proverb. Just tell me what it means. You ain't got to come up here and preach a sermon. Okay? Just, what, what is a proverb? Just give a proverb every day, you know, whenever you get together. Someone bring a song. You don't have to be inspiring. The, the psalm itself is inspiring. All you got to do is read it. You know, if you have a word or something you want to present, that can come. But it first begins in one, learning God's word, two, being confident. And you won't be confident speaking in front of people if you're, if you're worried about it. So these things, we're not relying on our own strength. We, we rely on what the Lord gives us. Because I can tell you now, there's not one time I come up here, I'm not nervous. In front of speaking in front of crowds. Just because I feel the butterflies don't mean I don't want to do it. You know, I'm scared, yeah, but I'm not relying on me. Right. It's natural to feel nervous about this sort of thing. But I'm telling you, the only way you're going to learn this is if you are actively studying yourself. And one way to get people to study is to have something to present every week. Bring a psalm. It can be one line. What does it mean? Okay, that's what it means. Thank you. 
You know, that's it. So we don't have to, don't compare yourself to me. I don't know what I'm going to say up here. You know, don't compare yourself to Sarah's prayers. If someone wants to pray, then pray. But the point is, is that we just have to get used to this. We've got to get used to this. This is the only way that you're going to get it. Trust me. Unless you're studying in your spare time. You know how much of the Bible I knew before even coming into this? I mean, I knew some. I knew enough to probably teach, but not enough. Is I Not like I know now. I got a lot of these scriptures memorized because of the fact that I'm going through it every week. I know that I have to present something. And when I have nothing, I ask the Lord to bring it. Lord, what do you want me to talk about this week? Right. And he'll give you a scripture. So every, I don't know what's going to be next week's study. He makes sure he knows what it's going to be. So that's all I'm saying. It's like, man, we don't have to be superstars up here. But the only way to get it is to be participants. When you're an active participant, watch what happens. Mm -hmm. Trust me, Christina now, she's bringing a word. I think you know her. Yeah, Cravello? Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's now bringing a word every week. You know, every week now, she she doesn't know what's coming up, but she's it's forcing her to, all right, got to have something. You know, and if you got nothing, that's fine too. You know, someone else can come and bring something. But this is what we should be doing. I'm not doing this to try and have somebody please me. I mean, I'm trying to teach so everybody can get it. I'm telling you how it worked for me. The only... Yeah. You know, they have men's and women's ministry. Sarah ain't a part of either. She's not a part of a women's ministry. Why is she able to come up here and teach? Because she studies in her own time. You know, that's all it is. I could leave tomorrow. Hey, Sarah, can you do it? She got it. Yeah, let's let's go. Why? Because you get more comfortable. But if you watch that first conference when Sarah and I came out there... Man, that was a disappointing moment because we had so many people not show last year. Yeah. Same thing this year, really, but more people came. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people didn't show. The Internet was down. All this stuff was going on. And I got people here listening to hear me speak, and I'm pissed off. So think about what, you know, you're not relying on your strength. You're relying on the Lord. Right. It's not us. Trust me, my IQ ain't that high. If you guys haven't figured that out with my broken English, I'm just saying, you know, that's all I'm saying. All right, so um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. So a bishop is like a pastor or shepherd. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. It didn't say the wife of one husband. It says the husband of one wife. Then it says vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine. It doesn't mean he can't have a glass of wine. It means you're not living a life of just drinking. Like a drunkard. Like a drunkard, you know, or whatever. Um, not greedy or a filthy lucre. You know, that would knock out half the churches right there in one shot. But um, it says, but patient, but not a brawler. That's something I got to work on if I'm going to get in this office. But um, not covetous, you know, so you're not greedy. You're not, you know, loving money. Uh, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection and gravity. So you see, children are even important in this. Okay? And, I mean, there are kids, of course, that... I have been a father too, and I'll tell you what, it taught me some things about patience and dealing with people, okay? So the point is, is 
these are the offices that best makes a pastor. Mm -hmm. All right, so his children have to be in gravity. And I know that this can't always be done because I've been in churches where the pastor's kids are some of the worst kids in the church. You know, they're the ones that teach everyone else how to get in trouble. All right, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil, because the devil will work with pride. He will use that to go against you. He'll say, oh, all right, well, you know that, then prove it. And then you find yourself up here trying to show the world how much you know instead of sticking to what the Lord told you to stick with. So, you know, you can be used in pride. Satan is smart enough that a lot of Christians get deceived with this because they try and impress people and show people things instead of doing what the Lord tells you to do. So if you're doing what the world tells you to do, you're serving Satan. But you think that you're bringing the word of the Lord. So this is why it's saying don't get caught up with that. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. So he should have a good reputation. He shouldn't be known as a whoremonger. He shouldn't be known as a drunkard. You know, he shouldn't be known as someone that couldn't keep his word. These things are important because people will always, the devil will always find a way to use it against you. Look at Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger in the 80s, man, he was winning people by the thousands to Christ on his little piano, playing music. Man, people would come. This guy had power. But they didn't know that he was, um, you know, sleeping with prostitutes in his spare time, going to New Orleans and picking them up. What did God do? Yank the sheets right off him to expose him. You know, because if you're going to be for me, you got to be a righteous person. You can't be involved in all kinds of sin because that makes the church look bad. You're going to stick the Lord to your name, but yeah, you're going to engage in the world. More you can't do that. More importantly, that makes the Lord look bad. That was one reason why doing exactly while doing security down at hotel, I mean at uh, other stuff, clubs and things, I had to stop it. As bad as I wanted to be right with that and do this, I said I can't be seen down here. I can't get caught doing this stuff. That would make it look bad. So even in me, you know, ministering to people and talking to people about the truth, the Holy Ghost had to tap me on the shoulder. Hey man, you need to get out of here. You know, <laughs> you can't stay here. Even if you are doing nothing, just the fact that you're there, someone may snap a picture, you know, oh, this is what minister whatever is doing. Look, everybody, and you could be down there talking about Jesus. But guess what? <laughs> you're in that atmosphere, which makes the whole thing look bad. And that's why the Bible says escape from the appearance of evil. Just even being seen in the corner talking to somebody, you know, certain things don't look right here. So, all right, so it says... Um, Are we on eight? Yeah, um, eight. It says, likewise must be deacon. Uh, likewise must be the deacon. A deacon is a servant in the church. Uh, but he would be right under the pastor. Be grave, not double-tongued, nor given to much wine, nor greedy of filthy lucre. Holding the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Uh, and, you know, it's pretty much the same office as a pastor, so we don't really need to go into that, but... These are the requirements for being a pastor. You know, so if you're a woman, I hate to say this, God doesn't even acknowledge you as a pastor. I know that you might know a lot. You can be an evangelist. You can teach in the church, but you cannot be a pastor. The word pastor comes is the word pattern, which means father. 
How are you going to be a father as a woman? So, you know, this was done for a specific purpose. Now, how can the, the man be the head of the home and his wife is heading him? So he's the first man on the side, and she's the pastor over the church. Over how many men? That can't happen. You know, it's just not me being chauvinistic. It's what the Lord is, you know, telling us to do. All right, uh, a few quick examples. Um, corrupt pastors, Isaiah 56 and 10. Guys, we'll get out of here shortly, I promise. Yeah, the Lord always gives us time to, he always gives us space to get our lives right, you know. Always. If he judges us, it's righteous judgment, you know, because he's like, how many times have I given you an opportunity to stop what you're doing? Especially if we're supposed to be serving him. And like you said earlier, if we know better and we're doing things, like we... The Lord delivered us from certain sins and we go back into it. Mm -hmm. It's like, at this point, you know better than to do that. And exactly. now I have to judge you gotta be matter. judged because of it, right. Yeah. You know, he might set you up again, but he's got to correct what's wrong. All right, so Jeremiah, 50, I mean Isaiah 56 and 10, and it says, His watchmen are blind. So these are Satan's watchmen. If your pastor resembles any of these people, any of this in your church, I suggest you look for another church. But it says his watchmen are blind. That means they can't see. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. All right, so the breakdown of this real quick, they're blind, so they don't even see danger around. Remember, if you're a pastor, you're a type of shepherd. All right, you don't even see what's going on. They are all ignorant. That means they don't know. All right, they are all dumb dogs. Okay, so the thing here is, you know a lot of stuff's going on in the world. You've heard about the New World Order. you heard about all this stuff. How come pastors are not speaking about this? How come pastors are not talking about sin? How come they're not covering real-world events that real Christians go through? If they're not trying to warn you about things that are coming, then these people, are they either don't know or they're ignorant. But then it says um, they cannot bark. That means they won't speak up. They won't warn the people. They're always lying down, loving to slumber. They're not even awake to what's going on in the world. So a pastor should be a sort of watchman as well. He should be warning the people about things. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to talk on sin, but Isaiah 58 and 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgressions. We're supposed to be telling people the truth. How can I say I love you and I don't tell you the truth? Would you love this man if he didn't tell you the truth? <laughs> yeah, I love these guys, man. I want what they have, but... Uh, but um, you know, it's just one of those situations where you want the truth to be told. You know, that's the only way to really help people. Uh, John 10. John 10, and then we'll move on to the last one. I know you guys got to drive back, so we don't want to keep you. But even if you guys have to leave early, too, I mean, you know, that's, that's fine. All this stuff goes on YouTube. 
Now, this is Jesus. This is Jesus as a watchman. Now, I'm not saying you can compare anyone to Jesus, but this is what a real shepherd would do. If you read Jeremiah 3, it says that I will give you pastors of my understanding that will feed you of my knowledge. If you got pastors out here not telling you the truth, I'm telling you guys, get out of there. A lot of people will feel like, no, it's okay, you know, he's being nice. But if a shepherd is supposed to be one that guards, I want everybody to look at their pastor in their spare time. Look at this guy. And I want you to ask yourselves, would he be someone that would lay down his life for you? Would he be someone that would protect you? I mean, look at him. I want everybody to look at the pastors that they know. And I mean, I'm not saying you judge them by their look. But I mean, you know, ask yourself, would a man that would sit here and just give you sweet love and messages really protect you when something really came through that door? Not to say that he could do it, but the point is, is that would he throw himself out there? So if he's a guarder, he's a type of protector. When David's sheep was t were taken by the lion and the bear, David ran out there and smote one of them on the head. They dropped the sheep. Then the bear rose up against him. David caught him by his beard and slew him. I mean, this is a shepherd. <laughs> what does a farmer do when someone comes up against his flock? When they try and, you know, wolves and things try and come in and steal. Man, the, the farmer's going to protect his farm. And I'm not saying through violence, so that's not my point. But the point is, would he stand in the way for you? Would he keep preaching the truth and stand for you and say, no, don't take them, take me. I'm responsible for this. You know, these are my sheep. So look at the requirements here in John 10 when Jesus talks about uh, what a real shepherd would do. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, uh, and the sheep hear his voice, and he called his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from, um, from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. Now, how do you learn the voice of God? Relationship. How do you know the things that God would say? Getting in his word. Because if anything goes outside of this, what do you think it is? It can't be of God. If God is telling you that there's things that we need to do or we shouldn't do, and you got this pastor over here telling you there's things you can do and it's okay, who do you go with? Exactly. Verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things uh, they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So he's saying if they weren't following the ways of Jesus, everyone else is a thief and a robber. So it's those apostles, those prophets and pastors, evangelists and teachers, they have to teach the way that God teaches, the way that the Lord is showing them. Anything outside of that is a thief and a robber. All right, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the door. I mean, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. But he that is an hireling, uh, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, uh, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catches them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and I know, and I and am known of mine. So he's making a distinction here. A real shepherd would give his life for his sheep. A real shepherd would be there for the sheep. A real shepherd would tell the sheep what need to be known at all cost. Okay, regardless of what you want to take away my 501c3 for talking about homosexuality or anything else, take it, man. I'm not serving this system. I'm serving Jesus Christ. That's a real shepherd. Not someone trying to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside just to get some, you know, money. A real shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. Hey, with the stuff I'm talking, they could come in here and hold me off tomorrow morning. Okay, I'm aware of that. But I'm not going to stop talking about what the Lord is telling me to talk about. Because the Lord is the only one that I fear. That's a real, and I'm not trying to compare myself to anyone, but people better understand, if times are getting worse, and these guys' mouths are shut, not telling people the truth, who do you think they are? They're trying to protect self. They're not worried about you. They could care less about you, because when the time comes, I'm grabbing my briefcase, and I'm getting out of here. You know, so I'm not trying to really be funny, but... It bothers me that people will sit in these false churches, they know it's wrong, but they cling to tradition. Man, find out what the Lord wants for your life and follow Him, because that's the only real church. And if the pastor is strong in Jesus Christ and preaching the truth, if he was taken away for persecution, that's going to spring up other people to want to say, you know what, my pastor's right. You know, we need to follow Jesus Christ and, you know... The church will grow. It'll, like, catch fire from that. But if he's a coward and just hiding the truth, that's what it's going to produce. It's going to produce cowardness from that. I'll tell you what. You can't find one wimp in this Bible that served the Lord. That's right. Not one. All of them faced what they had to face, but they stood on the truth of God. I'm telling you, if you sit up under a cowardly pastor, you, you, you that spirit will spread. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. This is why when you tell people the truth about the Lord... They, you know, don't talk about demons and all that stuff. Just Let's just focus on the love of the Lord. You know where they got that? Because he's not talking about it. So you're not conditioned. Even with boxing, even with the military. The thing is, is that, you know, you take blows. You deal with stuff. You train. You become a soldier. You learn. You don't learn that stuff by going and getting your hand nails done. That stuff comes from, you know, being trained and being groomed. But if you're afraid to deal with this stuff, how can you do the will of God? Mm -hmm. Because this is the kind of stuff you're going to be facing. That's right. You know, Jesus said, endure hardness as a good soldier. All right, the final one. If anyone has anything to say, um, any questions about, yeah. I was going to say to your point about the 5 and 3 I mean, those, those churches, obviously, if they talk about this stuff and they don't show up to church the next day, it's like they have bills to pay. Exactly. Like, they have to make money, so it's like that's how they pay for the actual physical church building. So it's like, I don't know, to them, it's, I don't know how they're really supposed to be acting like as a pastor when they have right. dead on this side and they have, you know, yeah. people on this side. Exactly. That's a form of control. And I mean, that's just something I'm not going to get hooked up in. Even if I did go with 501c3 and they tell me don't talk about things, 
you know, I'll just get the 501c3 and say what I need to say. If I go to jail, I go to jail. Why are Christians afraid of this? This is what the apostles and everything went through. This is when you know someone is God conscious and not world conscious. So we're not a cult. I'm not preaching fear here. I'm just saying that, you know, I mean, you're either going to be dedicated to the Lord or to the world. And a lot of people will cut back because they fear losing their job and all this other stuff. And how are you the servant of God when you can be bribed, when you can be told not to do something or else? A real person in these offices obeys the Lord. Maybe this guy's never had anything. Like, you know, Paul, he just walked from village to village. Yeah, Paul was spent most of his time in prison. Paul was whipped, beaten, stoned. I don't know how many things happened to Paul. But, you know, in the end, he was just so excited. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So from here, the last one is the teacher. The Greek word is didaskalos. It's D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O-S. Okay, didaskalos. And it means um, a teacher in the New Testament, one who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man of uh, those who in the religious assemblies of Christians uh, undertook the word of teaching with the special assistance of the Holy Ghost. So they're not relying on self, they're relying on the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you the main thing that even stops teachers and keeps them from uh, teaching. Let's go to Proverbs 5 and verse 1. This is the problem right here. This is what stops a lot of men from pursuing the Lord and helping him out. This is what took down Jimmy Swagger. Yeah, Proverbs 5 and 1. Now, this is the instruction. You know, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, you know. But he says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thy ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman uh, drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the paths of, the, of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. So, I mean, this is an interesting thing about, this is why you want a woman of God, because this strange woman is usually a woman outside of the church, but they said, you know, she's like a honeycomb, her mouth is smoother than oil. You know, baby, you so fine, you so cute, all this other stuff, you know, all that going on. You know, boy, you have no idea what I do to you, all that. I'm telling you. But they said at the end, you know, wormwood, you know, this is what they're like. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her, I mean of life, her ways are movable, that can't that thou canst not know them. That's important because when you're dealing with a woman of the world like this, 
This is speaking of the harlot, the adulteress. But what they do is they're one way, one minute, you know, and you think you got them figured out. Then they just reverse on you. Now, some people would say that's most women. But the thing is, is that these women are so movable that you can't even marry them. You can't even take these women anywhere or do anything with them because they're looking at your best friend, you know, because they, they don't like to be tied down. They don't want to be married. Okay, they rather run the streets with other men. Why? Because they're full of lust. And when you lust, you can't love. Those two don't go together. When you're in lust, man, all it's about is what I can get from you at the expense of you. Love is sacrificial. You know, love is true. All right, uh, seven. Hear me now, therefore, O children, and depart not from the words of, thy, of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh of the door to her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy laborers uh, be in thy house of a stranger. All right, key point is, this is talking about how, well, I got to finish this, actually, um, or at least this part. Okay, verse 10. Lest strangers be filled with the wealth of thy laborers in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I despised instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. Why? Because what they wanted was their pleasure. This is the main reason why people cannot learn when it comes to things concerning the word. Because they love self, they love things of the world, they love, you know, all the stuff that the world has to offer. When you're trying to teach them about the word, it's not interesting enough to you, you won't learn it. You'll look at it as something to do, you know, you'll look at it, oh, that was interesting. And that, that's as far as it goes. But when you really want to receive instruction, you'll forsake a lot of the things of the world. But I can tell you why. I mean, what's going to stop most men or their pleasure centers? Going after things that can hold them back from where they really should be pursuing the Lord. So the Lord can give you a wife. He can give you these things. But don't let this world hold you back. Because a lot of men have been emasculated because of this. Every man, I want to come to the Lord, but I can't stop with these women. You will one day. <laughs> but, um. This is pretty much an instruction manual, isn't it? Oh, pretty much. So, you know, it talks about teachers here. Um, Isaiah 30 and 18, which is right next door. I mean, you know, this thing ain't going to go on forever. This is why I'm preaching my heart out. You know, I'm just trying to tell, hey, at the end of time, when some people are not ready, it ain't going to be because of me. You know, I got about, what, 800 hours of video <laughs> tape, you know, telling people what's what. That's right. And I mean, I always tell people, if this isn't the place for you, then, you know, go to another place where you can learn. I mean, it'll be easier. This isn't where you get all the knowledge. I'm just a regular person. All right, Isaiah um, 30 and 18, and it says, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, and he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is the God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the Lord shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. 
he will be a, a very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, uh, he will answer thee. And though the Lord uh, give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, uh, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thy ears shall hear the word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. Um, when ye turn to the right hand, uh, to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left, ye shall defile uh, also the covering of the graven images of silver. So he's telling them, along with learning, take down your idols. This is kind of what we were just talking about. You can't learn this if you're learning other things. And I'm not talking about school and all that stuff. I'm talking about stuff that we actually think is so important that gets in the way of your time and study and knowing the Lord. He's saying, man, take those things down so you can hear the instruction given by teachers. Uh, I don't want to go through all of these. Uh, Hebrews 5 and 12. Then two more. Well, he's talking about those uh, images that are made of that. You know how um, you go to the heathen countries. You go, you know, like uh, Hinduism and all these other places they go to. Man, they got idols all over these countries, you know, and things that have nothing to do with it. All right, so he's just explaining the instruction of a teacher here. Here's Hebrews 5.12. That's at the back of the Bible near, um, where's it right next to James? All right, two more, we're out of here. Bear with me. I know you guys are never coming back, so this guy would not shut up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, right? All right, Hebrews 5 and 12. This is instruction here from the Lord, or Paul. He's saying, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which first, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as need of milk and not of strong meat. So a teacher recognizes here that if you're dealing with beginners, that you should be teaching milk, you know, instead of the strong meat. So that way they can eventually grow and then, you know, get some meat, you know, be able to handle the meat. So it says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So what you want here is, they're saying, man, if you got pastors out there teaching milk for 30 years and you built a whole ministry on this, the Bible says you're unskillful. It's almost as if unqualified. You should be raising people in the milk to eventually accept the meat and become mature in Jesus Christ. Okay, because why? With the meat, you have your senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And this is why a lot of people, you know, they get baited into the world. They fall into snares. They fall into traps because they're not having their senses exercised to learn the truth in Christ or learn the truth in what's really going on and how to deal with things spiritually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is what a good teacher would do. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter 2 and 1, and then we're, we're about done. That's right after Hebrews.
Second uh, Peter two and two actually. Sorry. Now these are you know the people that aren't teaching correct. This is what the Bible speaks of. Second Peter two and two. But there were false prophets also among the people, Peter even. Huh? Peter two and two. Yeah. Is it two and one? Got me confused now. You said two and two, but I think you started at verse one. I did say Second Peter two and two, verse one. Two and two, verse one. Yeah. Are you guys there? Second Peter two and one. Because I'm like, man, what am I looking at here? It's the big two in front of us. All right, but it says. All right, it says. Uh, but there were uh, false prophets also among the people, even as there, um, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, uh, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. And it says many; it doesn't say a few. Shall shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So, you know, speaking the truth, talking about the Lord, people will think of it as evil. You know, like, oh, man, I don't want to hear that. That's not, you don't need to do all that to serve the Lord. Verse 3, and through covetousness shall they be, shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now is of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So it's saying that it's coming just because God's not judging the situation right now, you know, doesn't say much. All right, First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter four and we're done. That's right next door going back the other way. Second right, Timothy 4 and 1, and it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, and his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine anymore, which meant, you know, the truth. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So, they, you know, they want to hear about the stuff that they want to hear about. Man, tell me something to make me feel good. This is what you find all through the world today. That's right. All right. And then it says, um, verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do not do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul is dying here, but this is the last thing he's actually saying. You know, that this is the time that we would approach, make full proof of your ministry. If you're an evangelist, go out there and evangelize. If you're a pastor, Shepherd the people. If you're a teacher, ground the people. If you're an apostle, build the churches. You know, if you're a prophet, hear from the Lord and guide people. So he's saying make full proof of your ministry. His departure is at hand. 
I have fought the good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord of the righteous judge shall give me at my day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. So this is what we need to do concerning the Lord as far as having, um, you know, this ministry. Hopefully everybody understands what the fivefold ministry is, the assignments that they do. I did have a lot of scripture that I'll probably make a list and see if Martin can put it up, you know, for the other things. But, you know, apostles, what do they do? They govern, you know, um, prophets, they guide, uh, evangelists, they gather pastors they guard you know and then you have um evangel not evangelists teachers they ground they ground people in the word so that everyone can understand what this is but these are the only five offices to walk in concerning the church there's nothing other than this now of course you want choirs because there is praise we are supposed to praise the lord you know we are supposed to make people feel good but if that's the only job you're doing in the church that's not doing the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is to step into one of these five offices, which means I can sing in the choir. People may come up to me and say, man, that was an awesome song. I felt so touched by it. Good. Let me tell you about the Lord. Right. You see what I'm saying? So the gifts are only meant to bring you in, not for you to get accolades where, you know, oh, yeah, I'm the lead singer here in the choir. We're about to cut an album next week. And see, man, all that stuff is so far into God that, you know, this is something that man wants to put together. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with making some money off of your gift. If you do sing, someone wants to cut a deal and you're out there, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you know, you can get paid for your gift. Stick with it. But the fact of the matter is, especially if you're doing it for a living, if this is what I do, you're going to need to travel. You're going to need to do things. But when you're just saying, if someone says, can you sing for us this Thursday? And they'll say, well, uh, my fee is about... Uh, $35 an hour. See, now that's wrong yeah. because you're not evangelizing. You're using that gift to make money. All right, so hopefully everyone understands what these are, you know, but uh, from here, if no one has any questions, I guess we can close out or nothing to add. You good? Everybody good? All right. All right, cool. Good, Sarah. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight. And I want to thank you for another day that you have given to us. I want to thank you for another opportunity that you've given us to come together, Lord, to dive deep into your truth, to know what your word says. Lord, I want to thank you for all the things that you've done for us, everything that you've given to us, blessed us with, and bestowed upon us, Lord. You have taken care of our every need and so much more, Lord. You've never left us wanting or without. And you've given us everything that we need to go through this life and to serve you. And Lord, I am so thankful for your true and holy word. And I'm asking and praying today, Lord, that with your word, that we will read it. Lord, that we will seek your understanding. Lord, that if we're doing anything that goes against what your word says, Lord, that we not take offense to it, but that we conform our lives to your scripture, Lord. That we will let your light shine through us to the world. Lord, I am praying that you will be with this ministry today. Lord, I'm so thankful for everyone who came tonight. Lord, I pray that... Your Holy Spirit will be upon us, that we will take the words that were said today, Lord, and we will take it to our lives, Lord, that we will understand that this is your guidance, Lord. This is your ordinance upon our lives. 
Lord, if there are any prophets today, if there are any evangelists today, pastors today, Lord, teachers, I pray that, that you would help us to see what your calling upon our life within the body of Christ is. Lord, help us today. Raise up the men, Lord. Let them seek their calling upon their, your calling upon their lives, Lord, and be with the women as well, Lord. Let us seek your calling upon our lives that we can go out into this world and to preach and to teach your gospel boldly, Lord. Light a fire under this ministry that we have not any fear of what the enemy can do to us, that we can find true joy and peace in doing your will. Lord, we don't know how much time we have left. I believe that you're going to judge this nation for everything that it's doing against you, Lord. It is shaking its fist at you. But, Lord, I am praying today that you will hear the prayers of the faithful few. Lord, that with the time that we have left, that we will go out and do your will, Lord. That we will go out into the highways and byways, Lord. All that want to come, let them come, Lord. All, all that are seeking rest. Lord, you said that your burden is light and your, your yoke is easy, Lord. And help us to know. Lord, help us to go out to those willing vessels, Lord, those that want to come to seek you, Lord. Let us be those willing vessels to go into the promised land. But, Lord, if we're doing anything that chokes off the Holy Spirit, Lord, if we're doing anything that keeps us from having a, a true relationship with you, that keeps us from hearing your voice, Lord, let us come to you, Lord. Let us give those things to you. Let us work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, that we hear your voice, that we know what you want us to do, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, Lord. I pray that you would pour Holy Spirit out on us, Lord, so much that we just burst at the seams, Lord, that we will go out, that your light will shine through us, that a city on a hill cannot be hidden, Lord. I pray, Lord, be upon this ministry, Lord. Put your anointing upon this ministry so greatly, Lord, that it cannot be resisted, that it cannot be refused. Lord, I am praying today that if we are supposed to be your church, your body, Lord, your bride, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that we will be exactly that. Lord, let us open our mouths. Let us speak, Lord, what you have us to say. Let us not hold back out of fear. Lord, that's what the enemy says. The enemy is the only one that gives fear, Lord. You give us courage. You give us strength, Lord. If we draw from you, if we seek you, Lord. I'm praying against tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That I'm praying against all false prophets, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I'm praying against all false doctrines. All false religions, Lord. Let us seek what your word says and we will take it, Lord, out to the masses. Guide and direct and lead us, Lord, I am praying today. Let us be given into more prayer and fasting to kill off that old, sensual, soulish, carnal nature. To live in the spirit, Lord, that when the enemy comes, he has nothing in us, Lord. Let us be like you. Let us be Christ-like in all that we do, Lord. Every manner of thought and speech, Lord. Let it glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Lord, let us hunger and thirst after your word. Let us be built up every day to bring lost souls to you, Lord. Let us take on the full armor of God because that is our defense against the enemy. Guide and direct and lead us, Lord, into your truths and into all truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.